It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest this week is Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery. Tom is a certified nurseryman who has more than 45 years experience in growing and consulting about fruit trees. He's a specialist in the wholesale production and sale of avocados, citrus, fruit trees, and grafted ornamental stock, and he's the go-to guy when it comes to backyard orchard culture. Thanks for talking with me, Tom. Hey, good morning, Christy. Really nice to be with you today. Yeah, I confess I'm contacting you for completely selfish reasons. I'm working on a new book for Cool Springs Press, and when I mentioned the title to a a slew of my friends, at least two people said that I must talk with you. Uh, But before we dive in, I want to know, how did you get started in the world of fruit trees? Well, it's it's been my passion for many, many years. I I started off as a a teenager working in a small retail nursery, and I I knew right away that uh, fruit trees were intriguing to me. They were something that I was interested in. I I loved eating fresh fruit even back then, and I realized early on, many, many years ago, that you couldn't really buy good fruit in the grocery store. Yeah. So um, I started specializing. I was given some opportunities uh, by some giants in, in the wholesale nursery business to, um, to work with them and, and work on fruit tree programs. And I jumped at the opportunity and never looked back. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it becomes quite an addiction, especially once you start getting into all the different varieties you can grow and all of that. Now, do you have fruit trees in your own garden? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have a half-acre property, and uh, it is loaded with fruit trees and, and vines and berries. And, you know, the, the wonderful thing about growing up and living in Southern California is we can grow varieties that will give us fruit on a year-round basis. So I can pick something every day. I can, I can go out this morning and pick oranges and mandarins and lemons and uh, pomelos and loquats and I've got uh, strawberries and some blackberries that are ripe now, and you know, just a number of things, one right after the other. So every week of the year, I, I have choices and, and selections that will give me several different types of fruit. I'm just curious because I have, I've been striving for that, but I don't have the room to plant all the different varieties that produce at different times. And we're going to talk about the secret behind backyard orchard culture in a minute, but I'm curious, are you growing avocados and which, which cultivars if you are? Well, my, my favorite uh, successive ripening selections are uh, Fuerte, which is a, a, a big green skin wintertime variety. In fact, there's still some Fuertes on the tree now. And then we go into the, the number one variety on the market, Hass, mm-hmm. which is the large, dark, uh, pebbly skin fruit that uh, ripens March through July, August, September, depending on the year. After that, I have Reed, which is what they call cannonballs. They're big, round, mm. green avocados, just delicious flavor, one of my absolute favorite varieties. And they ripen in uh, midsummer up until about December. And then I have a variety called Stewart, which is a small, dark, Mexican-style avocado, which is thin-skinned, very, very nice flavor. And it's a really nice uh, frost-hardy and compact tree. So with those four varieties, I can pick at least two varieties at a time on a year-round basis. Oh, uh, you know, so I could cool. go out today and pick my last Fuertes. 
I can start picking my first half. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's so awesome. <laughs> but, you and know, that, that's what it's all about. I exactly. mean, that's, that's successive ripening to give you fruit on a year-round basis instead of just having one or two trees where you're going to get, you know, two or three or four weeks worth of fruit and then nothing after that. So, right, you know, right. I've, I've, I've taken many, many years to plan out this successive ripening garden, and it's, and it's done very well for me. And just out of curiosity, what zone are you in? What's your hardiness zone? Well, I'm in um, a USDA zone nine. Okay, and uh, and that's where are you where are you living? Just in the in the San Gabriel foothills, about uh, twenty miles east of Pasadena. Okay, got it. So it gets hot out where you are. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm up on higher ground, so we get a really nice breeze every afternoon. So it's not as hot as you would think. Oh, that's nice. It's oh, not okay. desert hot. Got it. Okay. So you've been in the nursery business for over 45 years, and I imagine there are some trends as time goes by. What's popular right now in terms of fruit, and what's fading from popularity? Boy, uh, I don't really see anything fading from popularity. In fact, you know, edibles gardening, whether it's uh, vegetables or herbs or fruits in general, is at an all-time high. It, it is as popular as ever. And, you know, this I don't want to say trend, let's say change in lifestyle. Yeah. It actually began about uh, 10, 11 years ago with the uh, original um, economic downturn. And people picked up this victory garden philosophy where, you know, they weren't happy with store-bought fruit. They wanted something uh, better for themselves. They live in a, in a climate where they, they understand what they can grow, and they just started planting anything you can eat. And, and there are all kinds of organizations that support that, hobbyist organizations, professional organizations, uh, groups that are, are, you know, fruit tree uh, enthusiasts all over the country. And I couldn't be happier. It's just been a wonderful thing to see all these people succeeding and doing well with backyard uh, fruit growing. And, and they just can't get enough of it. Yeah, I agree. It's nice to see what we do as being exciting and popular. Um, and yeah, I agree. We've definitely seen an uptick since 2008 when the recession hit. And I hope it doesn't end. I hope people fall in love with it and continue to fall in love with it. Well, Christy, that's why I said um, uh, change in lifestyle. Yeah. I don't think it's a trend. I, I, I've seen trends over the past 40 years and trends come and go and, and they'll be popular for a couple of years or three years and then they'll fade. This hasn't faded. This, is, this has shown me that people are, are happy with what they're doing, and it's a way that they're willing to spend their time and get the reward for it. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that you're the go-to guy for backyard orchard culture. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and why people should do it? Well, backyard orchard culture, just some recommendations and concepts to help make uh, the average backyard fruit grower more successful. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of what we've learned over the last hundred years on growing fruit have come from UC studies that have been sponsored by commercial agriculture. Mm -hmm. So they've taught us how to be a commercial farmer. And that's the last thing you want to do under backyard conditions. You know, a commercial farmer wants a lot of fruit at one time. They want to come in and harvest acres and acres of fruit so that they can take that fruit to the market and, and get their paycheck. It's what they do for a living. Backyard concept is exactly the opposite. We want a little bit of fruit all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking in, into consideration those successive ripening varieties. 
there's really three main concepts to backyard orchard culture, and you can build on, on those you know, all day, all night. But the three main things to take into consideration are control tree size so that it's manageable for you, the grower. Uh, I don't care what a farmer does. I don't care what your neighbor does. I don't care what your Uncle Joe did. This is about you. This is about making sure that your trees are manageable for you and your property. Mm -hmm. uh, number two concept, successive ripening. We don't need a lot of anything. We need enough for our family. We don't need 500 peaches in, in two or three weeks period of time. We need uh, enough so that we can harvest successively. So we want successive ripening varieties. And with, with uh, you know, citrus and avos and subtropicals and stone fruits and palm fruits and, and vine fruits and berries and you name it, we, we can do that. You know, we, we can grow things in, in, our, in our Mediterranean type climate where we can harvest fruit on a, on a year-round basis. So that's the second concept. The, the third most important concept is pretty simple. Uh, grow what you like, what you'll use, and what's adaptable to your area. You know, you want to concentrate on varieties that have success in your area. You know, you don't want to try and grow Bing cherries uh, at the beach, and you don't want to try and grow avocados in Boise, Idaho. You know, you want to concentrate on what's adaptable to your area. So successive ripening for a little bit of fruit all the time, control tree size so it's manageable for you, grow varieties that you like and you use, and will be adaptable to your area. If you just follow those three simple concepts, then you'll be able to do a whole lot more in your backyard than you ever dreamed of. My specialty is small space, biointensive vegetable gardening, but I also love the concept for fruit trees. And one of the things that you talk about and have videos on is planting multiple trees in one hole. Can you walk us through that process and maybe talk about what the minimum amount of space is needed for something like that? Absolutely. So um, the multiple planting or multiple grafting concept is um, mainly just to get more use out of your space. Like we mentioned my four avocados. Those four avocados are planted in a square that's 24 inches wide. So the, the outcome is you, you get one big what looks like a big multiple trunk tree when it's actually four different varieties planted together. So I'm, I'm able to harvest throughout the year. I've got cross-pollinization built in to the combination. I've got successive ripening built into the combination. I manage the trees at about 15 feet so that I can pick everything I need to get with a, with a short pole and a basket picker. And for avocados, I'm fine with 15 feet because the fruit hangs on the tree for several months instead of just a couple of weeks. Right. On things like stone fruits or palm fruits that are only going to hang for two or three or four weeks, those trees, I don't let those trees get over eight feet tall. That's my manageable size. Mm -hmm. So that way I can do all my work from the ground. If I need to thin, I need to harvest, I need to prune, I need to do any work to the tree, everything's right there from about 18 inches off the ground to about eight feet high. So it's, it's easy under those managed conditions to plant multiple varieties together or graft multiple varieties onto one tree and harvest more out of, out of that space. So say, let's take peaches, for example. Uh, we have a series of peaches that, that uh, were developed by Zagers called the Pride Series. So we have a variety called May Pride that ripens up uh, middle of May to late May. We have a variety called Eva's Pride that ripens up uh, early June to mid-June. We have a variety called Mid-Pride 
that's late June into early to mid July. And then we have a variety called August Pride that's late July and into the first couple of weeks of August. So if you planted those four varieties together in a multiple combination, instead of getting two or three weeks worth of peaches, you now have two or two and a half months worth of peaches out of the same amount of space, the same footprint. So it's excessive ripening, um, making maximum use of your space so that you get a little bit of fruit for a long period of time. And you said you're planting in a, a hole that is 24 inches wide. And so well, no, no, don't, don't, don't confuse that. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're digging one giant hole. If you're going further apart, you're going 36 or 48 inches, or you're planting a, a hedgerow or, or you know, a, a staggered mounded planting, whatever you're doing to fit your landscape needs, you're probably going to dig individual holes for the trees. Now, we have planted trees on very close spacing where we've put multiple trees in, in one hole. I've, I've actually braided trees together and, and grown them as a, as a, just a, a, like a single trunk combination with three trunks braided together so that you get three different plums or three different figs or, or you know, it, what, whatever you're planting all off that same amount of space. That that's, was just a fun project to do. It's experimental. It's showing people that you can go out of the box and do something different and be successful with it. But that's not necessarily what I would recommend for the average homeowner. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely dozens and dozens of, of techniques. And, and, and that's one thing that you don't want to get confused or, or pigeonholed by something that, that says, oh, well, you have to do this. You have to plant four trees in one hole. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything. You can, you can do anything you want that works for your particular landscape situation as long as you're taking those original three concepts uh, and keeping those in mind, and that's what's going to make you successful. But how you choose to lay it out, whether you choose to do multiple grafted or multiple planted or, or hedgerow or just uh, several plants around your backyard, it, it's all entirely up to the grower, and it, and it all works. Right, and so for, for listeners who aren't familiar, hedgerow is, is if you were, say, creating maybe a, a privacy hedge or something with trees that sure. are fruit trees that are planted a couple feet apart or I mean what do you average do you have an average that you plant them apart no I don't think there is an average okay I would say an average for a hedge would be somewhere between four and five feet apart four to five feet apart and I know in the in the in what I've read in the planting hole when you're planting four trees in one general area uh, you tend to thin out the inner the center of where all the trees come together is that true yeah, four, you know, four trees in a, in, a, in a square or three trees in a triangle, you're going to want to keep that center uh, open so that you get light exposure and air movement. That's going to give you better uh, quality and better ripening on your fruit. So, you know, your growth is really going to kind of come out from the center. But, but the trick is, with any multiple planting or multiple grafting, uh, the trick is balance. Mm-hmm. You never want to let one variety dominate that combination. You want to keep all those varieties in check. And you can't necessarily make the weakest variety catch up to the more vigorous ones, but you can easily control the vigorous varieties to keep them in balance with the weakest ones. So that's where you start. That's a really good point, because I've seen that on multi-fruit trees that are grafted where one variety takes over, and of course it's the one that's you know most south-facing. So it's a good tip to yeah. control the overgrowth on that rather than hoping that the other one's going to catch up. Have yeah, if you that. allow those uh, vigorous varieties to just take off and don't check them, 
then that that will mean that your combination isn't going to last long. The, right. the more vigorous ones will just take it over and the weaker ones will die out. But if you keep the, the more vigorous ones in check with the weaker ones, then with eventually within about two years, they all catch up. Okay, good to so know. So it's just a matter of keeping those uh, in, in balance so that you're successful with all of them. And just out of, for my own self, I pictured planting trees in one hole that you would sort of angle them outward. Do you do that or just plant them straight up? You can. We've done it uh, both ways and, and both seem to work uh, quite well. Okay, good to know. We should talk about summer pruning because that, you've said, is an important technique to keep home orchard fruit trees small. I've run into some sources that say, you know, it seems to be a controversial thing, and I'm not sure why, but some sources say that it doesn't live up to claims that it increases fruit production the following year, but that's not why you're using summer pruning, right? What are your thoughts on No, not on at this? all. I'm, in fact, I'm, uh, I'm limiting fruit production. You know, I don't, I don't look for maximum yield. If I was a peach grower up in, uh, you know, Tulare, California, I would be looking for 250 to 350 pounds of peaches off of each tree in my orchard. That's what's going to make me profitable. Mm -hmm. But as a home grower, what are you going to do with 250 pounds of peaches? It's <laughs> a lot. It's so a lot I'm, I'm looking more for like 50. Yeah. Or 50 is a great yield. 50 is a lot of peaches. So I don't mind keeping trees small and growing a limited amount of, of crop. I, I, I in no way, shape, or form want a commercial expectation on my fruit trees, you know, especially with things that ripen over a short period of time like that. So describe summer pruning for those who've never done it before. Well, summer pruning is just a, a, a concept of keeping varieties in check at the time of year when they're they're still growing and they have opportunity to to heal very quickly from their their wounds and there's very little spread of bacterial issues or fungal issues during the mid to late summer right so uh, where now now this is this is the interesting part of the concept a lot of people don't believe in summer pruning because they go back again to ancient history for commercial growers, where commercial growers always did their fruit tree pruning in November, December, or January. But those days are gone. Even the commercial guys now understand the benefits of summer pruning. So if you're a cherry grower or an apricot grower or, or even a peach or nectarine grower up in the San Joaquin Valley, as soon as your crop is harvested, and you know for cherries and apricots it could be May, June, or early July. For peaches, it's going to be July, August, or maybe as late as September. And as soon as those crops are harvested, those farmers go in and, and they do a pruning on those trees. And they're not pruning for detail. The trees still have foliage on them. You know, there's, there's a, a big uh, canopy there that, where you can't really see the interior structure of the, of the tree itself. But what you can do is check vigor. So the commercial growers don't want a tree that's over about 10 feet tall anymore. And, and they will come in and just check the top of the tree after the crop's harvested. And then they may come back in the fall or they may come back in the early winter and do a little more detail work. They're going to look for issues. They're going to look for dead wood, uh, diseased wood, broken branches, crisscrossing branches. They're going to open up the center a little bit more because now they can see the integral structure of the tree. You know, the foliage is is dropping or is gone already, and now you can do that detail work with 
uh, with you know being being able to to look at that that tree and every branch on that tree and make intelligent decisions. Mm -hmm. So summer pruning is strictly for size control. Winter pruning or fall pruning is for detail. And are there some trees that should not be pruned in summer? Uh, after, well, some trees that shouldn't be pruned in the summer. Yes. Yeah. Those would be varieties that ripen in the fall. So I wouldn't prune my persimmons in the summer. I wouldn't prune my figs in the summer. Um, I'm, I'm going to wait until the crop is done and, and the trees are going dormant, and then I'm going to prune those, those varieties. But anything that ripens up from the end of April to the 1st of September or even middle or end of September, I'm going to come in and prune it right after uh, fruit harvest. I'm also... In my research about summer pruning, finding discrepancies on how much one should prune back from a branch. Some say only remove 10%, others say remove a third, others say a half. What's your rule of thumb, if you have one, and why is there no consensus? Well, you know, trees are like any living thing. They're all different, and they're all going to have different needs in, in the way that they're managed. So, uh, And I, I don't consider any of those wrong. I would say... If you want to come in two or three times during the summer and prune by 10%, or if you want to come in once and prune by one-third, I think uh, both of those are perfectly acceptable. And, and I've done both of those, and, and even more extreme, and I've been successful with it. The one thing you want to be careful of when you're summer pruning is you don't want to open up that interior structure to sunburn. So you don't want to really do a full open center pruning when you're summer pruning. You want to take the top out, but you want to leave some of that uh, canopy, that upright canopy, so that you're still shading the interior structure, the branch structure on, on the tree. If you take out too much and then you go into a heat spike, you can certainly have damage on, on the wood that's now exposed to that hot afternoon sun where it wasn't exposed before you did the pruning. So you know, lightly and a little more frequently is probably more advised under desert climates. If you're close to the coast and you want to go 50%, I think that's perfectly acceptable. Got it. Okay, it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Well, um, I, I think um, one of the main things to consider when you're uh, planting or planting your uh, successive ripening fruit garden is do your homework up front. You know, understand what varieties you're going to put in. Make sure you're choosing rootstocks, not only varieties, but trees that are that are on rootstocks that are adaptable to your soil and your climate. Make sure that you understand your microclimate. You know, know everything about your piece of property. And and very few horticulturalists I, have I ever heard recommend this. But you want to go into it with all that knowledge up front. You don't want to just go start randomly planting trees and then realize later that you made some mistakes. Yeah. So do your homework up front. Make sure you understand, how's my drainage? How's my drainage on different parts of the property? You know, do I need to do a, a mounded planting? Or, you know, do I need to make sure that if I'm going to plant an avocado or a papaya or something that requires fast-draining soil, that I have a location that's, that's adaptable to that? Or am I going to go on a raised bed or on a mound so that I get that root crown up above the native soils, you know. So understand your irrigation system. Understand the extreme weather conditions on your property. Where does the damaging wind come from? Uh, where are the low points on the property where it's going to freeze? Where are the high points where 
I can plant more tropical material without danger of a winter frost. So as long as you understand these things going in, you understand everything about your individual piece of property, you'll be successful right out the gate. You'll make the right decisions for that first initial planning and not have to go in and say, well, that was a mistake. I'll have to do something different. Right, and I think a part of that is chill hours. A lot of people don't know what chill hours are and why they need to have really, how, why they need to know how many they get in their region before buying a tree. Oh, yeah, that's very important. You know, like I said, you don't want to plant a Bing cherry at the beach, and, <laughs> and you know, you wouldn't want to plant an avocado in Boise, Idaho. But, you know, the reason you don't want to plant a Bing cherry at the beach is they're, they're, they're a high chill requirement variety. So they need about 800 chill hours. And, and a chill hour is described as wintertime temperatures accumulated between November 1 and January 31 by the Western model in California. Mm-hmm. There are other models around the country that uh, accumulate later in the season. But in California, we go for that 90-day period, November 1 to January 31. The, the, the chill requirement is temperatures between 32 degrees Fahrenheit and about 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on whose model you listen to. And uh, you want, in general, on high chill varieties, six, seven, eight hundred chill hours. On medium chill varieties, four, five, six hundred chill hours. On low chill varieties, 400 and below. So uh, in areas in, in, in coastal zones, you're probably looking at somewhere between 150 and 400 hours in an average year. Mm-hmm. Inland valleys, you're probably looking at somewhere between three and 500. So, you know, understand the chill hours in your area. And if you go to um, the website, I believe it's SEMAS.com. Uh, They're a weather registration station, and they have weather stations all over California. And you can look at, at the closest station to you and determine what your average chill hours are. In fact, you can look and see what the chill hours were in any given year. That's so, cool. So um, that's, that's all important information to have. And uh, again, you want to make sure that you understand your varieties up front so that you're not planting something that uh, is going to need a lot more chill than what you achieve in your area. And even with that, um, I have been very successful going out on, on the fringes. I've been very successful... My chill, uh, average chill accumulation in my area is probably around 250 hours. Mm-hmm. But I have varieties in my collection that are 500-hour varieties, and they do just fine. So varieties tend to adapt to climates once they're in for two or three or four years, especially things like peaches and nectarines. A little more difficult when it comes to cherries and plums and some of those things, but peaches and nectarines all do wonderful with much less chill than what they're rated at. So, um, you yeah. know, take it all with a grain of salt, but but do pay attention to it. Yeah, I have a Fuji apple tree. I'm I'm very coastal. I think we get 150 chill hours, honestly. But yeah. I have a pocket in my backyard where we I have a Fuji apple tree, and it produces every year. So, and that's a 500 chill hour tree. So it's kind of cool. Well, I'll I'll clue you in on something. I I have um, an experimental project that I planted out in March of 2013 at the South Coast Research and Extension Center in Irvine, California. Mm-hmm. And they're in a, in a coastal zone as well, 100, 125, 150. We even had one year that was a negative year, was negative oh. 50 chill hours. Oh, no. <laughs> and what I put in was a collection of 30 high-chill apple varieties. 
that require between 500 and 1,100 chill hours. I have had fruit on all 30 varieties since the third year every year. How? And I'm not talking about 10 fruit. I'm talking about nice full crops of, of fruit. So some things like apples, I, I honestly don't feel that there's any such thing as a high chill apple. I think they're all adaptable to low chill climate. Did you do anything special? Did you put them up nope. against a dark corner or something? Nope. No? Nothing, nothing special. In fact, uh, it's been managed in a, uh, in a backyard style uh, to the extreme that we have never sprayed anything on a tree. We've never dormant sprayed. We've never sprayed for aphid. We've never sprayed for mites or scale. So we've never applied any pesticides to those trees or fungicides to those trees to control any fungal, bacterial, or insect issues. Wow, that's impressive. And I'm, I'm actually working on, uh, on writing a, a thesis report of, of the project right now, which I'll publish probably sometime before the end of this year. Oh, very cool. You'll have to let us know about that when the time comes, and we'll spread the word. That's very exciting. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to see it. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that expert tip, Tom, and thank you for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. How do people find you? Well, um, we do have what I consider to be a pretty incredible website, and that is DaveWilson.com. And there's a a home garden section there specifically for backyard fruit growers that has uh, variety descriptions, rootstock descriptions, uh, how-to information, uh, over 100 videos on growing fruit, using fruit, visiting horticultural collections, uh, articles that that we've done over the years on different aspects of fruit growing. Uh, And we're really proud of our website, so I would encourage everybody to check that out. It is is really impressive. I reference it all the time when trying to research varieties for clients. So thank you for Pointing us Wonderful. in that direction. And do you have any social media or anything at all? Uh, Dave Wilson <laughs> does. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, not the guy that um, handles that, but, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the gentleman that handles all the social media for us will um, almost daily, you know, throw things my way. So if people have questions or concerns, I, I usually end up contributing back to him, and, and he posts it. But, okay. Well, I, uh, I, I try and stay away from that myself. I completely understand. It's much better to spend time with trees anyway. So, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I will, I will put that up on the website on the blog post for this week. All right, garden nerds, you'll find links to Dave Wilson Nursery and several articles that Tom recommends on his page on the Dave Wilson website at GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share a couple of videos that Tom is featured in uh, about summer pruning and a couple others as well. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on GardenNerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!